Glad everyone's here today. Uh, we're going to jump into the Word in just a moment and pick up on a series that we, we launched in last week. If you're first time here or visiting us online for the first time, so glad to have you, really. So, so glad that you made the time to come on out. And uh, we started in Psalms, the book of Psalms last week, and we're going to continue on in the book of Psalms. We, we were in Psalm 24, and then naturally we're going to go to the next Psalm, chapter 107. So, if you guys have your Bible uh, or your device where you have your Bible on, you can, you can mark it at Psalm 107. But we're going to go ahead and pray and then get into the Word. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we ask that you would speak to us, and we know that you are faithful to do just that. Through your Word this morning, God, cause us to become more like your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. We're just going to take a moment. Have you ever thought about the globe being God's? It's God's. Every aspect of it and every person in it is God's. So it belongs to God. And with that become, come a lot of implications. The earth is God's. That means it's his prerogative. Do you have a car? And it's your prerogative as to whether or not you want to keep that car dirty, isn't it? Or if you want to clean it, isn't it? Do you have clothes that hang in the closet? And once you're past a certain age, no one can tell you to pull those clothes out of the closet to put them on. What age is a good question. So God's prerogative, the earth and all that is in it and all of the people, it's his rule, it's his his ownership. It's his preference. Have you ever thought about God as having preferences? And then if he does have preferences, is there anything that can stand in the way of God's preferences? How about you? Do you have strong preferences? And have you been in a situation where you're like, I don't care what anyone does or what anyone says, I will have my way. And you've seen it through. I mean, I, I know what that feels like. And you see it through and you get to have what you want. Imagine if it is true that God, the globe is his and all of the people inside of it. And if he does have preferences, who can stop him? You? Me? Government? Natural disasters? Weather? It's his kindness, his love, his judgment his authority. And look, at face value, this confession of his bigness, it makes, it makes me a little uncomfortable. If you, are that, if you have that little control over your own life, which we normally feel like we do have a lot of control over our lives, but if it is true that you have that little control over your life, does, does that make you feel more comfortable about life or less comfortable about life? That's a good question. When faced with God's supreme power over all of the earth, does it make you comfortable or uncomfortable? And as humans, I think we want to command our own lives. We want to be the master of our own ship. We want to command our own morality. Have you ever come up against a sermon or scripture that flies in the face of your morality choices, 
and then walk away from that experience and continue to choose your preferred morality? If so, welcome to the club. Because all of us, we want to be the master of our own ship. We want to command our own outcomes. And what's crazy is often when the outcomes don't go our way, we want to then ball up our fist and look at God. In those moments, and we want to condemn God for why he's allowing things to happen in the way that he's allowing them to happen. But often we forget about the moments where we are the ones putting ourselves in those positions. And that's what Psalm 107 in a big way is about. So the sermon today, the hope is that it's going to build on this biblical truth from Psalm 24 that the earth is in fact God's. Every creeping thing, every flying thing, every swimming thing, every inhabitable place of the earth, every snow-capped mountain, an unseen cave, he owns it all. And then more personally, he is the God who is over every moment of our lives. He's over every minute. At the turn of the year 2024, he is over every year of our lives. He's God in the middle of peace, and he's God in the middle of anxiety. He is the God in our riches and in our poverty. He's the God in the middle of our hiding of the darkest sins of our lives. He is still there, and he is still God when we confess those sins. The earth and all the inhabitants in it and every circumstance in every moment is the Lord's. Does that make you more comfortable or less comfortable when thinking about your life? So my hope is that Psalm 107 will make our hearts fully alive today when we interact with his word. The way that the original author, I think, would have hoped that those who sang this song, because psalms were songs of worship often. So when people sang a song of thanksgiving or a song of praise, hopefully they came fully alive in those moments. Just a few minutes ago, we sang with our voices to God, and, and hopefully we connected with those words, and we believed those truths, and we felt alive as we worshiped God. That would be my hope here today. And, and there's some people here probably who are far from God, and you would, not, you would not be comfortable with the confession that you don't get to choose your own morality, that you don't have your own preference, that you can't be the master and the commander of your own ship. And so I get it. It's an uncomfortable thing to be declared over you that you do not own your life. You do not own your path. And you are not the master and the commander, but instead God is. That's an uncomfortable position. And so you might be saying to yourself like, dude, who are you? To say that I am not my own. I do choose my own clothes. I do choose to keep my car dirty or not. And I did apply for this job. And I did ask this person to marry me. And I left them when they were unfaithful to me. Like, and I can do with my kids. And I can do with this. And I can. That's a lot of. And if you're far from God, I get it. 
I get it. But I hope that Psalm 107 would bring comfort to you today. To see God as gracious and good. But not as an evil dictator who has preferences over every step of your life. But rather a God who has everlasting, unending kindness and love toward those who are his own. So 2024, did you ever, did you say this year, new year, new me yet? Don't if you haven't. It's an awful thing to say. You know, the clock at midnight on December 31 does not change us. It doesn't. Moving in to this next year, there was nothing. Let me, let me ask you, was there anything in that moment that changed inside of you? And if you felt like it did in that moment, did it change back already? And most of the time, the answer is yes. It's already changed back. It, it is a reason for celebration, though. My, my, uh, one of my daughters, she's 12, and a few years ago, we picked up this habit, just me and her, in each other's face. We're both pretty aggressive. We just yell at the top of our lungs, Happy New Year, multiple times in a row in each other's face. It is a celebratory moment. It is something that we remember. It's something that we mark. It's something that we have fun with. But it is not a changing moment. New Year's don't do that. But New Year's and years, they do mark us, don't they? Do you remember particular years of your life? And the older you get, the more you remember particular years. I remember in 1993, a particular year, when the my favorite childhood band came out with their first album, Counting Crows, August and Everything After. And man, I scooped up that cassette tape after I heard a couple songs on the radio. It was the best. It was a particular year that brought me to life in my own personal musical interests. I remember going in 1996 to my very first concert, going to see the Cranberries in Milwaukee in an amphitheater, thinking at 14 year, years old how cool it was to be at a live concert. I remember year 2000, graduating from high school, being 18 and thinking like, wow, life's about to start. And also year 2000, any of you conspiracy theorists where you packed up all of your water and your snacks in the closet because the world was going to end because some dummy didn't know how to solve a computer problem. 2003, I became a husband. 2004, I became a father. 2005, Hurricane Katrina leveled parts of this city. 2009... My father-in-law quickly, unexpectedly passed away. 2013, I became an entrepreneur and started a business with two business partners. Set off a marked year in my life. 2017, difficulty in marriage. Sadness. Years mark us. Twenty twenty four. What's it going to bring? What's ahead? Is God in control? Is He not? 
Psalm 107 would speak to us about the steps that we have not yet taken. And the steps that we will look back at and say, wow. And in the middle of it, we might say, God, where are you? But later on, we'll say, I saw you. So Psalm 107 helps us posture ourselves for marked years in our lives. So it's important to know some context about Psalm 107. And there is, there's, often, there's often just, you pick up your Bible and you look at the Bible and you read it, and it is in fact encouraging, it is in fact helpful. But what's really helpful, as, as I've read more and more about this psalm, many scholars believe that this was written during a particular time in Jewish history that was in the middle of or on the other side of the Babylonian exile in Jewish history. And, and now's the moment many of us would fall asleep. <laughs> history class, what does the Babylonian exile have to do with us today? Not too much. But Psalm 107 in the middle of the Babylonian exile is a lot. There's a lot there for us to learn. And so the exile was basically a roughly a 20-year span of time where God's people were slowly and deliberately trekked from their homeland to another empire. It would be like us in South Louisiana slowly being tracked down into Mexico where they spoke a different language and they had different customs and they had different styles. Or being slowly tracked into another country across the sea for us where we wake up and we find ourselves and we say, how did we get here and why are we here? Life's a lot like that. We have our own exiles. That's that what happened to these people in roughly 586 BC was a marked year. They were sinners, constantly setting up idols over and over again, replacing God with physical objects, worshiping them rather than worshiping him, committing themselves to awful morality and practices. But remember, y'all, it's God's earth. And every inhabitant in the earth is his. And it's his prerogative. It's important to know in Psalm 107, God is sovereign. He is supreme. And so he prophesied to them through people or he communicated to them through people. The man Jeremiah was a big one that was used. And he told them, watch out. If you don't repent of your sin, you will find yourself in another place for a very, very long time. And so, finally, at the end of this 20-year span, again, roughly around 586 B.C., so this is about 2,500 years ago, God says, that's it. It's done. So he sends in Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar had slowly set up these puppet kings through these last 20 or so years from the Jewish people. You're going to rule and reign. And then they would betray him. He would take them out. You're going to rule and reign now this country. And they would betray him. 
And then finally, the last one, Zedekiah, Babylon, I mean, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, had had it up to here. So he said to him, you betrayed me. So let's usher in all of your kids. Zedekiah is about 30 years old. He's a young man. So let's usher in all of your kids. And I want you to watch something, Zedekiah. And then he brutally murdered all of his kids right in front of him. And then he turns around and gouges Zedekiah's eyes out. And then he sends them to Babylon. Then the Babylonian army, they go to the temple, which is the sacred place. It was, they had one sacred place. They had one church. They go to the temple. They raise it to the ground. There's nothing left. They take everyone from the entire country. They ship them to Babylon with the exception of the poorest people in the land so that they could work the fields. It's a disaster. It is hopeless. There's no coming back. Every, the king has no more eyes. And the line to the throne, they're all dead. There is no hope, is what it would seem, right? And of course, we know that is not the end of the story. But I want to tell you, 586 for them was a marked year. So big of a deal that we're talking about it 2,500 years later around the world. It was a big year. And it was in that time frame that most scholars would believe that this psalm hearkened language to. Imagine being a Jewish person in that time. And imagine for 70 years going there and then slowly over time being shipped back to your country. And then in time, the people were released to go back and to rebuild that temple, that same temple that Jesus one day would stand in 500 years later. It was that temple that was rebuilt. And it was all, with all of that in mind that Psalm 107 sits. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, verse 1. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here's a... Here's a real good question. In the middle of that whole story that I told you, do you think it would be easy to say, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever? Is that an easy moment? Would that be something that we would love to sing out in praise and in worship? I don't think so. But we have to remember that it wasn't the end of the story. And we need to remember in now that we're in the moments of difficulty or the future when we are in the moments of difficulty, we need to remember, oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is good and his steadfast love endures forever. It was a beautiful thing God gave to these people in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. The same Jeremiah who was with them in the middle of the exile. Keep in mind, he was the one who prophesied that you guys, if you don't repent. Chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, that exile, when you, that 70 years is over. I will visit you and I will fulfill to you all my promise and bring you back to this place. Imagine hearing from Jeremiah 70 years from now, I am going to be good. My steadfast love will endure forever. I will bring you back 
to this place. For I know, God says, the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is often, it's like, this actually was my, ch- my high school. I went to a small Christian school. It was my high school scripture for my senior class. Oh, I know the plans I have for you, good and not for evil, written to a people who were being exiled for 70 years, taken away from their home. That doesn't sound that good. Verse 12, then you will call upon me, and this is the key, where we're going to spend our time hanging today. You will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me, and you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations that I shipped you to. And all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. It's hard in the middle of exile to have hope, isn't it? But if it is true that God is good and that his steadfast love endures forever, and if it is True that he owns the globe, all of the inhabitants and all of the inhabitable places. If it is true that he is good with all of that authority and with all of that power. And if it is true that when we are in difficult circumstances, we can cry out to God and he will hear our cry and he will bring us to a safe haven. If it is true that it is good to have hope. It is good to not faint. It is good to not give up. It is good to endure. It's good to be long-suffering. Even if it's for 70 years, yes. Even if it's for 70 years. How many of you think they were praying day one, God, would you take us back to our land? Man, that's me. Day one, I want out. Oh, and sometimes if, if I'm not careful, my proclivity is to say, and if you don't get me out, you're not good. But we need to be careful. What is true is that God is good. And his love endures forever. But that is not true of us. Watch. Is there anyone you used to love that you don't anymore? Has there been a moment where you have not been good to another person or good to yourself? So it is not true of us, but it is, it is true of him. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, those people that were exiled. And he gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Some wandered in deserts. Desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. So we're going to just quickly launch into four categories of people that God finds in the exiled place. Wanderers, prisoners, sufferers, 
and mariners, not the baseball team. Wanderers, prisoners, sufferers, and mariners. Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Could you imagine walking through a maze that someone dropped you inside of, and then them lightly telling you, there is a way out. Go find it. And you were excited. What a good game this is going to be. And you hit wall after wall after wall. And then after a day or after five or after ten, you begin to realize, I don't think there's a way out. And if you came to a place where you were in a maze that there were no way out and it were brick walls all around you and it was too high to climb and the sun was beating down on you and there was no food and there was no drink, would you continue to have hope and have joy? What would you do, do you think, after a while when you realize there is no way out of this desert, wasted place? You would begin to sink. You would begin to lose hope. You would begin to look like these people who were wandering in desert ways, finding no way to a, sit for, to, to a city to dwell in. They were hungry. They were thirsty. Their soul fainted. Have you ever been soul sick? Have you ever been soul sick? Have you ever had a marked year where there was no remedy? And the cry and the prayer of your mouth and your heart was not answered, and you laid down in the maze as if dead. Have you ever become a different personality and a different temperament because your hope is gone? And people begin to interact with you and you say, what's wrong? Why are you not the same? And you think to yourself, if I could only say it, if I could only tell you what was going, what's going on in the desert waste of my life, you would understand. But you just say, it's fine, just having a hard time. God has encouraging news. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Just like Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14 encouraged them to do so. And what did he do? He delivered them from their distress. Do you think God did it the first time, every time? He didn't. There's a lot of versions, and I say versions, of Christianity out there that would tell you all you got to do is you got to say it. All you got to do is proclaim it. All you got to do, all you got to do, insert that into 70 years of exile in Babylon. Insert that into the desert waste of my life, a maze that there is no way out. Tell me that all I have to have is joy and believe that, that it's going to all turn out and that it will turn out and it's just a matter of your faith and if you would just have faith and if you would just believe in God that he will do his part. What's wrong with you? Well, you don't believe? It's not with the Bible. It's not what happens in the Bible. But does it say to believe that God is good? Does it show that while people cry out, eventually God responds? Does it sometimes take a lifetime 
to do? Are there men and women in the faith who died in the middle of crying out and never received the things that they were asking God for? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. So endure, because God is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. And there are prisoners. So wanderers and prisoners. In verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. And these are literal people that this happened to. But all of us here today, we are not in a box without light, shackled and chained to a bed in prison, are we? But if you ask a person who's been in that place, or just watch a movie, if nothing else, you will see that this is not an encouraging place. Being locked in a dark cell with a cloud over them is the picture that we get. Have you ever been locked in a cell with a dark cloud over you? See, those people who wandered in the wilderness, what it didn't say is that they made a bunch of bad decisions and that they were idiots and they were sinful. What it, did, what it does say here in a moment, though, for they had rebelled against the words of God. Have you ever thought that there are consequences, even as adults, to our decisions? We know that as kids. And, and if you're a parent or a teacher or if you're just an adult, we just like to tell kids, like, hey, There's going to be a consequence for that. We know that's like a universal truth. But when it comes to us, do you think there are consequences for the decisions you make, whether you are someone who has put your faith in Christ or if you have not put your faith in Christ, do you think that there are consequences that are there for your decisions that put you in a situation, that put you in shackles? I think so. What's also true about my life still is like, man, when I'm an idiot, things happen to me. Like if I speed, I get a ticket. But what about, what about sin? When you sin as a Christian, someone who believes in God, one of God's own people, are you off limits and untouchable now? Do you think, well, well, yeah, I mean, I can, I can kind of do what I, I mean, you know, God loves me, right? His steadfast love endures forever. Like, he's good to me. God is not a vindictive God. He's good to me. Do you think that you can do anything you want without consequence? Do you think it's God's fault that you're in a dark prison? I'm not saying everyone in a dark prison is it's to their own fault because certainly there's people who were exiled who were faithful to God. So I'm not suggesting one plus one equals two. You sin, God punishes you, that's all. I'm not suggesting that. I am saying, though, it would be good for us to consider the shackles that we are in could be directly tied to the sin that we embrace. In 2024, it's not like, hey, now's the time, guys. Let's reimagine our lives. Let's change things. 
That's not the way. The way is this. God is sovereign. And he has a preference and a prerogative. And he is Lord over all of the inhabitants of the earth and the inhabitable places. You are his. And he has called you through the work of Christ to submit all of your desires to him and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to be holy as Jesus is holy. And as a Christian, we are called to live in that way. So gossip isn't an option. Anger in God's kingdom, bitterness is not okay. Unforgiveness, lust, imagining, fantasizing, greed. These cannot cooperate in God's kingdom. And these people decided that it could, and they ended up in prison with shackles, alone, with no one to help, no one to share a meal with, no one to have joy with and to share humor with. Have you ever noticed yourself becoming a different person? And have you noticed that maybe you look outside and that's why you're different? I want to encourage you, look inside and ask God, is there any way in me, God, that is binding me to these shackles? Is there anything that I should be observant in? Am I in exile, God, because of my choices? Is that, why, is that why I'm here? And if I'm here not by my own choices, God, help me, help me to be humble and recognize that at any given moment I could be. And that's why it's a prayer, prayer for me always, God, make me like your son, Jesus, because I, all, I know, I know, I know I could become the worst Choosing my own path, my own desires, to be unlike Christ, will bind me and shackle me. So they had no one to help them, but, verse 13, they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And guess what? He delivered them in their distress. Were they already in prison? Yes. Could they have been in prison for a long time? Yes. Verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Don't forget that in prison. And the sufferers, they are healed. So verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, once again, through their own paths. And because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. Here's a good, good way to say it. They didn't count the future cost of their sinful ways. They didn't count the future cost 
of their sinful ways. How does that work? This was years ago. It's just like an impression in my head. There was a young dude. He's probably like 22, 23. Just can't forget it. So it's so it's such a good illustration. He was outside of one of where I work, one of our restaurants, and he's just sitting on the curb. And it was after one of the parades, and just like you know, just barely able to drink alcohol. And he was sitting there slouched with his head over in between his knees. He threw up and he's just sitting there in between his knees. And it's not a funny scene, but there's a moment of looking at this young man. I'm looking at him, I'm thinking to myself, I bet you he wasn't anticipating that moment when he was having fun. Have you guys been there? How many of you had your head between your knees. I mean, I've, I've been in miserable circumstances that I, I, I was there because I did not count the future cost of my sin. It's like driving on Lake, uh, over Lake Pontchartrain on the causeway and you get over for free. You're like, okay, it's a free ride, 26 miles. And you didn't anticipate the $5 charge on the way back. And you show up and you go, oh, oh, I don't, and then you got to roll out and then go get some money. It's like that. On the way up, it feels good. On the way back, man, didn't anticipate that. So that's, that's what is being illustrated here. They, the intended delicacies of life were not the same anymore. They loathed, verse 18, any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. They, they, they no longer even had an appetite. Good things in life, intended appropriate delicacies in life are to us when we follow after sin. They are disgusting. Even the good things. Have you ever watched a relationship with two people fall apart? One person really loves this person, but this person can't seem to see it. Have you ever seen a, rela- like a real relationship like that? Where this person truly is loving and sacrificial and kind. Now, are they, are they a fool at times? Uh, yes. Like all of us, yes. But do... Does this person actually, and this person cannot see it. They don't believe it. And they act otherwise. And this person hangs their head and they're like, what do you not see? Have you ever been in a, a relationship like that? Like, or just any kind of certain, where it's like, this is an easy one. This is easy. All you got to do is, life, suffering comes. And it makes us strange on the other side of pursuing things that we did not intend to have those consequences. And things happen that we never intended to have happen. Have you ever sat with people? I have a particular, I was a young man and I remember sitting with a young couple and there was unfaithfulness in that marriage. And I remember, it was the first time I really saw like, almost like, I mean, you would talk about like wandering in a desert. I just remember the faces, like the over, like, how, how did we get here? 
You ever been with people like that? Where people are just confused and nothing seems to make sense anymore and everything is broken and there's no way out. There's no satisfaction. Delicacies that should be enjoyed cannot be enjoyed. Relationships that once were close are now far apart. I mean, this, this is true. This is true. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Not the moment they got hungry. They were near death. It doesn't always happen right when we want it to happen. But he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. He heals. He heals the sick and the suffering. And then lastly, verse 23, the mariners, the seafarers. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. Lost my place. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. And these, uh, reading a little bit about it, it's hard to say whether or not these people were in the exile. Maybe they were on some Babylonian crusade of some type or doing business of some type or who knows that these, the people who were exiled or maybe it was just a disconnected, hey, this is how you would see people even in this situation crying upon God. But they saw the deeds of the Lord as wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind. You think God has authority over all of the earth, all of the weather, all of the inhabitable places? Yes. And that lifted up the waves of the sea. And they mounted up to heaven. And they went down into the depths, and their courage melted away in their evil plight. You ever been here? You think 24 might bring you there? Where you're just on a peaceful ride, and all of a sudden, God brings a wind that causes that wave. To rise sky high. And it flips you down and you lose all of your courage. You ever been there? Have you, have you gotten over it? When you were there. 25 years ago. When your world got flipped upside down. You still live in that? And man, it's common. We do. We do. These guys weren't asking for their ship to sink. Kids, when they're, when they're young, bad things happen. Not asking for it. Adults, when we get old, bad things happen. We're not asking for it. We find ourselves in a storm that causes all of our courage to melt away. The opposite of having courage would be to be discouraged. Do you live in discouragement? Have you given up in the maze? Have you given into the darkness 
and the shackled prison? Have you become destitute and no longer desire things that are meant to sustain you? They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. God was the commander of that storm. God was the commander of that exile, not Nebuchadnezzar. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. They reeled and they staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. You ever been there? And for those of you who are young, who had a good life, man, you will go there. You will be there. And you will find yourself at your wit's end. Young people or people who have had a great life so far, you may be in the middle of Jerusalem still. You may be one of those sinners. Or those of you who do not have a confession of faith in Christ. And things may be good. Get ready. It's not always going to be like that. It will come crashing down. Because God, it's his earth. It's his preference and it's his prerogative. It's not yours. So when it comes crashing down, you're at your wit's end. What do you do? And this is what the word, this is God's word and what he would encourage us to do. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea, they were hushed. And then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. They were there for 70 years, and they were in a storm, man. But eventually, they, as they cried out, God brought them back. And he rebuilt the temple. And then he sent his son, Jesus, who stood in that temple. And history continued to go on. And the joy of these Jewish people was restored. Man, that is us. It's us. So believe in his steadfast love. Believe that he is good. Cry out in your distress. Wait on God to deliver you. Do not say, I've already had three, I'm already three drinks in. I might as well go 10 in life. I've already made a bunch of bad decisions. I might as well stay down the same path. You don't have to. You don't. You can cry out in the middle of it all. You can be in prison shackled up. And if you find yourself there this year, remember Psalm 107. He is good. 
And his love endures forever. Forty-three just lastly encourages us, whoever is wise, verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things and let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Hey, let's be wise people this year. Let's consider these things, these stories Let's cry out to God. Consider that he is good. Believe his steadfast love. Let's close our eyes in prayer. And I want to read a scripture as we pray. And let's, if you could, just listen to these words as I read them. We're going to sing a response, just a few minutes, response song in just a moment. Romans 8, chapter 38 and verse 39. And just, just listen to God's word. I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No death. No life, no angel, no demon, no present case scenario, no future, me adding no past circumstance, no power, me adding no wealth, no poverty, no height or depth to any wave on any ocean from high to low, anything else in all of creation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray and we'll sing. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. In the wandering deserts, the shackled prisons, the afflicted suffering, and the oceans that triumph over us, you are good. Give us grace to cry out to you. And God, help us to turn our eyes toward Jesus as we cry out to you.
today, tomorrow, Lord, we turn our eyes to you when the weight of sin and life bears down upon us, Lord, we turn our eyes to you. When life is easy and good, we turn our eyes to you. Would you help us to remember today, moving forward every day, that we always set our eyes upon the high prize that is your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Have a great day, guys. God bless you.